You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Last week, and I'd encourage you, if you missed last week, you need to go back and, and uh, hear Coach's message last week on grace. You can find it on YouTube or on uh, Facebook. If you can't find it there, we'll get it to you. Let us know that. But he talked about grace, and it was important, I think, to understand that grace doesn't just apply relative to us being saved or our salvation, but grace applies all through our life. For some of us, as we go through adversity, we know that that's when we really need grace, and grace shows up. So it's there for us during that period of time, and it's not something that's taken away from us. It's, a, it's just an encouragement to watch grace uh, come into to adverse circumstances and how we can go back in these tough times and reflect on, on Christ and our relationship that we have with the Lord. So each of these lessons, that we're in this uh, roughly six-week window, but each of these lessons that we're talking about right now, they, they're like a brick that you're putting in a wall, okay? And grace was that first brick. But it's a wall that we're building to kind of create a, a healthy, strong wall that helps us to, uh, to understand how to move from scars to freedom. Now, some of you may think that's an awkward statement, but I know most everybody in here, and with few exceptions and maybe no exceptions, hey, we all have scars. So part of it is moving from scars to actually be free in the Lord. Worthy worship, we're talking about today, it's a, it's a hard thing to describe because one of the things that I remember reading in Scripture, it says, we need to worship in truth and in spirit. But then I kind of go, okay, well, that's a good thing, but do I really understand and know what that is? A large number of people, if you were to ask them and you said, now, tell me what worship is. What is worship? A large number of people would say, well, that's the music part of a church service. Well, that's true. It is the music part of a church service, but it's so much more than that. Worship is so much more than that. Now, I would suggest that Worship to you is, is actually a, more than a church service, but worship is a lifestyle. But I want to narrow our discussion today. We can't talk about everything. I want to narrow our discussion today and what we're going to talk about. And you're going to see some slides flip up here. Here's one of them that's about worthy worship because that's really what our, ti- our title is today. So if we're thinking about worthy worship, here's a few things that I think we need to do. First, we need to decide that I could be better in, in my worship. I could do better than I'm doing. Second thing is that we need to be intentional about it. It's kind of a catchy word. I don't really like it because a lot of people use that word, but it's, but it's descriptive. What we, have, we have to intend to do it. We have to be intentional. We have to intend to do it. And how do I plan to be better in worship? And then the third thing we need to do is we need to figure out how to commit and to stick to it. Because I would contend that most of the people in this room, if we're really honest, we would say, you know, I could probably be more worshipful than I am. I could probably have a better attitude about things that I, than I do. Now, this might sound like you. This is a quote that I could have probably pulled out of our past years. But I don't feel, this is a quote, I don't feel like I have a spare minute to even think about worship until I set my fanny down in a seat at church. Okay? 
Some of you might say that. Or perhaps if you're watching online, maybe it's, you know, you've scurried around the house and all of a sudden you've sat down and you've turned on the service to watch this service. But some of us might think that I can remember being a parent of young children and I can remember what Sunday mornings were like at the Doty household. And I can tell you that it was pretty hard some mornings to feel like I got churched up before I got to church. Because, you know, you're thinking about everything that's happened and you're thinking about, okay, see, we got clothes to deal with and do we have the right thing and something that they're going to like? Okay, we got hair to do. We got, I got to throw some breakfast at these kids to get them out the door. And then, of course, there's all the unplanned interruptions. For those of you that have kids in diapers, you know what one of those interruptions is. Right when you get ready to leave the house, then all of a sudden you've got to back up, do some clothes changing, stuff like that that happens. But see, I'd like to, this morning, I'd like to break worthy worship down for you today. And the first of those things we're going to talk about is preparation. Because preparation is a huge part of worthy worship. So, if you've been an athlete, perhaps a performer, a competitor of some kind, you know that part of being ready for your event is trying to get your mind right. Before you play, you'll see athletes walking along and they've got their earbuds in. You'll see people that are off in a corner. Maybe it's somebody that just needs a little quiet time. But athletes, singers, preachers, Almost everybody is spending some time trying to figure out how do I get my mind right for what it is I'm getting ready to do. Now, in the movie Cool Hand Luke, Paul Newman was told a couple of different things. One of the things the old warden told him, he said this. He said, boy, you're going to get your mind right. And he was telling him, you're going to have to start thinking like you're supposed to. A little later, he went on to say, he said, boy, he said, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Now, I may not be a good uh, voiceover person, but if you've seen that, you know those were key lines that were in that movie. Now, no doubt that if we don't have our mind right, if we don't have our mind right and our heart right, we, in fact, do have a failure to communicate. Just think about coming in. If, if my mind's not right, you know, as I approach worship, if my heart's not right as I approach worship, then what's going to happen? I'm not going to be as effective in my communications with the Lord as I could have been had I had my mind and my heart right. Whether this was on a Sunday morning or even some other time through the week and you're, you're in a worshipful mood and you're, you're trying to, to really give God his due, this worthy worship, you might ask yourself, what do I do? What do I do in preparation for worship? How do I do that? Does getting your heart and your mind right, does it start when you hit your seat on Sunday mornings? Perhaps if you're at home, maybe it's sitting down in your favorite chair. Is, is that really when worship started for you that particular day? Or does your preparation start or need to start much earlier than that? See, no doubt that our attitude is major in our desire to put our mind on the things of God. We also have to figure out, how do I carve out time? And that's a precious commodity. I don't care, even at my age, time is still a precious commodity. 
And how do you carve that out? In some cases, I may have to actually reorder some things in order to do that. Or maybe I have to consider, did I allow any quiet in my life? Did I allow any time for quiet? Even, if, even that, sometimes we have to think, how do I rearrange my priorities to be more worshipful? So, think about your preparation as you started. Just think about today. It'll say, we're, you know, you're making preparations because you're coming to worship a holy God, right? That's, we, we agree on that. We're coming to worship a holy God. Think about your preparation. While it's still fresh in your mind, just rewind this morning and go back and say, well, what did my morning look like? Did it look like a morning when I was preparing for worship? Was that what it looked like? Was it, did, I, did I have the right attitude? Did I carve out some time for the Lord? Did I get my heart and my mind right before I, before I arrived? So consider your preparation for worship as you think about this. Because that's this first step we're talking about. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, this is what it says. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it may not be about money, but when it talks to us about serving two masters, the question is, we know we can't do that. Scripture's told us that. It's God's word. But then we ask ourselves, what competes for my time and my attention? Was it worthwhile? Was it a waste? What competed for, competes for my time and my attention? We do have to decide who our master will be. Listen to what John has to say about worship briefly. To me, worship is, is a, can be a very difficult question because I feel like there is a lot involved with it. In the very definition of worship, it shows to show reverence and, and, to, and to put high above. We're created to worship. In Isaiah 43, it says we are created in, to glorify God. That is part of who we are as a makeup. I feel like what it is for me, it's a goal to to the very essence of worship should come out of me as I walk, as I drive my car, as I teach my kids at school. Um, there was an old song in the, uh, I think it was in the 2000s, and I just always glean on to the words how, this start, how the song starts. It goes, when it's all said and done, I will breathe the breath of worship. When my journey fades, I will bend my knee in honor. And that's kind of how I feel like I try to get to worship. It's like the goal, but and I'd always fall away, but when I come back, it's about, uh, about more of the lifestyle of worship in my heart and getting my heart in the right place so that I am able to worship. Because like I started, it's scriptural. It's what we're called to be. Well, worship, uh does have, in fact, when you go back and you try to chase that word in Scripture and how it's used, it does have a variety of different uh, connotations. Now, the second thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about corporate worship because we've, we've, if we think about it, let's assume in it that we've kind of thought, okay, I need to be properly prepared to come together with the body of the believers. Now, there's a word that's called shakau. Now, that shakau 
is in essence a Hebrew word, and this is what it means. It means to bow down, to bow low. And that's a word we're going to see in the scripture that we're going to read now. It's in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, verse 5. And this is where it starts. I'll pick it up at verse 1, actually. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, that's what Abraham replied, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Now, I have to tell you that if I'd have gotten that word about, you know, one of my sons, I think I'd have, I think I'd have done a Jonah on that deal. You remember Jonah? You know, he was told, I want you to go to Nineveh. And you remember that instead of going to Nineveh, he turned and he went literally the opposite direction is what happened to him. And I'm thinking about Abraham. Here's Abraham. And I'm thinking about, wow, what I should do is I should avoid the mountain. I don't think I'm going to go to the mountain because I already know what I'm supposed to do there and I'm not going to think it's a good idea. But that's not what he did. In verse 3, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, and he loaded his donkey. He took him with two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy, Isaac, go over there. We will shakal, worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, when we look at that last line, when he talks about worship in the Hebrew, what he was saying is, I'm going to go up on the mountain, and I'm going to go up on the mountain, and I'm going to bow low. You know what that is? You, know, we, we've got, you, can, you can kind of see what he would look like. He'd have his face to the ground, perhaps prostrate in front of God, and much like the position of surrender. Well, why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, he did it because he was in awe of God. We're talking about the, the God who Scripture tells us if you dared to look at him, you died. He was in awe of this God. Now, I wonder sometimes, am I in awe of that same God? Do I, do I treat him with that reverence? Do I understand what God with a big G really is? Let's watch Kathy Dozier's clip here as she talks about worship. Worship. To me, worship is the giving, the offering up of all that I have, body, soul, mind, spirit, and all that I possess, to my Lord and Master, to my God, for His glory, because He is worthy. He is worthy of all that I am, and I just praise Him that I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So she said that worship does involve, it involves our body, it involves our mind, it involves our soul, because it's the kind of worship that a worthy God should have. I mean, that's how we should see him, that's how we should look at him. Can you imagine being Abraham and realizing that he was going to go to be in the presence of this holy God, this, this powerful God? Can you imagine what that would have been like? Not to mention that he was being told that, oh, by the way, when you get up there, I expect you to sacrifice your son, who quite literally, if you know that story, if you don't, go back and read it, but quite literally, he had waited a lifetime for this son 
that he was expected to sacrifice. Now this God that Abraham came into the presence of to make this, he decided it was a different sacrifice because he showed that he was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. He had the wood, he had the kid, and he was there to do it. And God intended for him to be willing to make that commitment, but then God provided a ram that was caught in the woods nearby to actually be the substitute, the sacrifice, instead of Isaac. That same God is the same God that Moses ascended to the top of the mountain to meet with and was there for a period of time, understanding what he was supposed to do as a leader. This same God was the God that sent an angel to wrestle with Jacob all night. And as a result of that, Jacob became Israel, became the nation, if you will, because from him came the 12 tribes of Israel. The same God that Jesus, hour upon hour, he spent in time praying to the Father, to this holy God, about his mission when he was here on earth, walking it as a man. And it's the same God that Jesus went at the cross, said, Father, where are you? Have you forsaken me? You can imagine the distress that was there. But of course, God had not forsaken him. Because what he was doing, he, he was providing Jesus, almost like the ram, if you will. He was providing Jesus to be the substitute for you and for me. About worthy worship, because what he did is he put Jesus on the cross because he knew that we were sinners by our nature, but he provided him in your place and my place. This is the same God that we came here today to meet. We didn't just come out of obligation. We didn't just come because we didn't have anything else to do with the Sunday morning. We came here because we wanted the opportunity to meet with him. And just imagine that we have that opportunity to walk with him every day. And he loved us enough that when Jesus left this carnal part of his life, the Holy Spirit came so that we had somebody to, to walk with, to teach us, to counsel us, to prompt us. When it comes to corporate worship, I think that all of us really want meaningful worship. I've heard that said a lot of times. I've heard people say, well, I want, you know, I want worship to be meaningful. Well, I looked at that... And I was thinking about that because most of us, we want meaningful worship, right? We want great song service. We want great preaching. We want something that when we leave, we feel challenged because when I leave here, I want to feel like I've been challenged to leave this building and be more Christ-like and to be on mission. Now, up here on the slide, I'm going to show you meaningful worship because what meaningful worship can do is it can break down into different things, all right? Because meaningful worship to you might be different than meaningful worship to me. So what I thought about as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, what is meaningful worship? And I saw that at the front end, the first two letters are me, right? Meaningful worship. And then we make a choice. You have to choose this. The choice is, is worship, worthy worship, is it going to be about, be about me and about for me? Is that the me that's in meaningful? Or is it not going to be about me and it's going to be about him? Now see, our, our knee-jerk reaction would be to look at those and say, well, I'm, I'm in the number two column. That's who I am. I'm in the number two column. It's not about me. It's about him. That's why I came. I serve a holy God. But then sometimes 
we kind of ask ourselves and we examine ourselves and say, well, is that really a true picture of me in corporate worship? Is that who I am? I fear that many churches and many Christians are attending because they really, when they get down to the gut level, they're asking themselves, what do I get out of it? How can the church cater to me and my thoughts? How can they entertain me? How can they feed me? But see, when we think about this me part, I'm wondering, shouldn't it be the me when it comes to this corporate worship? Shouldn't it be the me that is offering myself to a holy God? Should that be the me? That I'm offering me, myself, in service? That I'm offering myself with a pure heart, not a heart with angst and bitterness, but a a pure heart like the song said? That I come here to offer worthy worship to a worthy God. I like the Chris Tomlin uh, song, and they sang that this morning, but just some of the lines in that, you know, we bow our hearts. What a great word picture. We, you know, that's that, that's that subservient, that that's that willingness that I give. I surrender. I'm, you know, I understand that you're in charge and I'm not. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. And he goes on, he said, Lord, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. And when we, when we walk in here, that's who we should be. Now, we may not we may not have that all together in life. We may be working on that. But that's what we're supposed to aspire to be. So we need to, be, to put in the preparation as we come to worship. We need to have the attitude. And that may be your attitude one-on-one in worship. Because, believe me, worship, again, we talked about this earlier. Worship isn't just when you sit down on Sunday morning here. Worship is your state of mind. It's your lifestyle. It's how you treat each other and how you, how you communicate with the Holy God. But we, we need to have that attitude, that right attitude. Or in, worship, in, in corporate worship too, the attitude of humility, of bowing down with our head and our heart. Not an attitude about you're not entertaining me. Or perhaps I don't necessarily like the, the style or whatever it is that you might see here as we kind of occupy this space on Sunday morning. Then there's a third piece when we talk about worthy worship. And it's, it's where presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to talk about that in, in a minute, but when we talk about li- a living sacrifice, I love the fact that Paul used the word as an amplifying word, not just as a sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. Let's listen to Jacob Walker. To me, worship is a time where I can praise my God, praise the God who created me, who made me who I am. Um, I find uh, myself in sometimes situations where praise and worship is a time where I can get away, where I can feel just the overall presence of God around me. Um, There's this one song that really um, hits home or hits really close to my heart and it's called Nothing Else by um, Cody Carnes. And the lyrics go, I just want you, I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else will do, I just want you. And for me, that song really hits for my life because that's exactly what I want. I want that connection with my Lord. I want that connection with God. And this song just talk, just letting it all out. Nothing else, God, I just want you. And to me, 
Worship is a time where I can just come to Him, feel His presence, and feel loved. If you haven't gotten an opportunity to meet Jacob, by the way, he's usually back here in the corner, not here today, but, but uh, spend a little time with him. You'll be, be encouraged uh, when we see these young lives and, and like the ones on stage, you know, that have that great heart for the Lord. Now, we talked about preparation. We've talked about corporate worship being parts of worthy worship. Now let's talk about that third thing. We're talking about our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, in Romans 12, and you may have your favorite version. It's the first two verses, and you may have that, but I'm going to read to you from a memorable translation. That's what you'll see up here, but feel free to kind of scan yours and look at it as well. There was a guy named J.B. Phillips. He was an Anglican preacher and a Bible translator in the early 1900s, and this is how he turned this translation that I think is a very meaningful thing in the first part of chapter 12 of Romans. He said, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God. In other words, I see them. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into a mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. That, he meets all, that it meets all of his demands and moves toward the goal of true maturity. There's a lot packed in there. And I'd encourage you when you go home to, to, to read that and just think about your life as, and how it is relative to living sacrifice. David Gusick made a, he's a Bible commentator that I look at once in a while. And I loved what he had to say because he's reflecting on this, this, this same thing that J.B. Phillips talked about. This is what he says. The thinking of our age says that our body must tell the will what to do. Okay, let me read it again. The thinking of our age says that our body must tell the will what to do. I would bet that not many of you would disagree with that when you look at the world today. But the Bible says that our will must bring the body as a living sacrifice to God. And then this is a great line. He says this. He says, the body is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. I thought, boy, what a great line. The body is a wonderful servant, but if we follow our body and what we think and what it feels, then that gets us into a lot of trouble. Keeping it at God's altar as a living sacrifice keeps the body where it should be. So in Romans, that 12th chapter, what he talked about is uh, Phillips was, was using in this translation... But he was talking about, at the very first of it, and any translation you look at, it's going to talk about with eyes wide open. Yours might say, in view of, but it's the same thing, with eyes wide open. And he talks about the mercies of God. So what he, he starts that by saying, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God. In other words, he's seeing all the mercies of God. So what I want to do is I just want to take just a second... I'm going to reflect on some of what those mercies are. These are these, if you're a believer, these are the things that he's done for you and for me. Here's some of them. Through Jesus, we are forgiven. Sounds pretty basic, but man, that is a big deal. 
Our identity is in Christ. Now, you could, we could preach for months on our identity in Christ. But see, when you become a believer, your identity is in Christ. You're seen through a Christ filter. That's how you're seen by God. Our identity is in Christ. We live under grace, not the law. And I'm glad. Because I couldn't be perfect enough. I couldn't be right enough to live by the law. I'm thankful for grace. We're given the Holy Spirit. And for those of you maybe that, you know, it's a, if you're a believer, it's alive in you. Now, you may choose to kind of space it off, but the reality is the Holy Spirit's there. You call on him. He helps you make decisions. He's that one that prompts you when you're getting out in left field somewhere and say, yeah, okay. I put those flashing lights at the intersection for a reason. You don't need to do that. He's right there. He's the one telling us, don't go down that road. It's also the fact that, that God promises this, these mercies. He promises to help us in our afflictions. Many of you have or have had afflictions. And you know that when that happens, he promises to be there to help us and support us. And as a believer, our assurance of salvation. You know, if you're, if you're a believer, if you've said with a clean heart, Lord, I accept you. I want you to be my personal Savior. I want to live for you. I want that relationship with you then we understand that we have the assurance of salvation, even if we do some dumb stuff along the way. And knowing that we won't be separated from God, but we have the confidence of his faithfulness, of God's faithfulness, because God does keep his word. He's told us what he's going to do. We have it in front of us, and he keeps his word. Now, that's a short list of benefits, right? That's a short list of things that when he saw the mercies of God... And when Paul, when he put those verses down, that's a short list because you could sit here this morning on your own and say, well, I can tell you a lot of other things that are mercies of God that he's done for us. See, it's hard for me to adequately describe worthy worship because we have such a worthy God. You have to come to that conclusion and you have to realize in your own life that he is worthy of that. Where am I at doing that? Am I... Is that where I'm at? Is, is, am, I, am I really contemplating what that is? But here's a few things I'm confident, confident in that I want to leave with you. I'm confident in these few things if you want to experience true freedom in Christ. We should be preparing ourselves for worship. And even the preparation part of preparing, that is worship itself. Okay, Worship isn't just when you show up between 10 and 11 o'clock. Worship is that preparation part. That's when, when you and God start to commune, when you get connected, you know, when you're, when you're giving him his due because he is that worthy God. When we participate in corporate worship, then we think about this. It's a very meaningful time, right? That's what we're looking for. We're looking for a very meaningful time. Now, what we have to do is be conscious that when it comes to the me part of it, I need to leave out the selfish me part of it. But just think about the fact that I come to serve a holy God. I come to worship a holy God. A, the one who provided a Messiah, a pathway for us of salvation and to have a more abundant life. Let me say that again. One of the things that we get out of this 
is not just the fact that we're saved, not the fact that we get a ticket to heaven of our tickets punched, but we have the opportunity while we're here on earth to lead a more abundant life than we would have otherwise. And then the third thing is that choose to live our life as a living sacrifice and a tribute to God and your faith. Make a choice. Are you going to do that? Are you going to, are you going to live out your life like Romans 12, 1 and 2 says? Are you going to live out your life as a living sacrifice? I'll go back and pick that, that one line up of Gusick's. The body is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. Keeping it at God's altar as a living sacrifice keeps the body where it should be. Scars? We all have some. This is about finding freedom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for exposing the things that we've seen today. Some of them aren't easy because we have to do some self-evaluation. And Lord, I pray that in, in, uh, as we leave here today, whether it's with some, maybe it's just reflection on our own, maybe it's talking with a, a friend or a spouse, but Father, what I pray is, is I hope that you'll ask us to search and find out where is my heart. You know, we, I, have, I, have I received grace? Did I practice grace in my life? And do I, do I understand worthy worship, Lord? Because you are a worthy God. And I pray, Lord, that, that you'll help me to understand it, to carve out time, to put a little quiet in my life, maybe reorder my priorities and figure out what's the big deal and what's, what's important to me so I can be bolted up and ready to be in worship. Pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.